Hey, I, I want to tell you something, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Y'all are the best-looking group of people I have seen so far this morning. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're here. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Luke 19. And Jakari, I forgot to put Luke 19 in the computer. So while you're turning, Jakari, if he can be quick, now that I've surprised him, he might be able to put it on the screen as well. So yeah, yesterday, gymnastics, we had some dancing, like robot dancing, I don't know what it was. Oh, I'm sorry, children can be dismissed at this time as well to go to their teaching time, and we will do, uh, we will take up our morning tithes and offerings at the end, and you know what happens every time we do offering at the end, right? I get to preaching and I totally forget about it, so don't let me forget. That would be a really bad thing. So we had gymnastics, dancing, art. What else did we have? Yeah, science experiment. I mean, it was really cool stuff to see. What? Taekwondo. Yeah, so it was great. So a lot of these children just from our neighborhood. So we had a chance to, to see their God-given talents, praise what they were doing. It was really neat. Some of the kids, their children or their parents couldn't even be here yesterday because they had to work. So we got to be their surrogate family yesterday and praising them and complimenting them on their talents. It was really neat to see. So if you would like to participate and help financially support next year's day camp so that we can keep it free. There's a note in the bulletin about that. Zacchaeus? You know who Zacchaeus is? He's a wee little man, right? Isn't there a song about that? Wee, wee little man, sycamore. I was not a normal child. I don't remember children's songs. Anyone know? Is there a song, right? How does it go? Anyone know? Oh, that's nice. Oh, boy. We've got two, two kids' worship songs in two weeks now. What was, what was last week's song? Do you remember that? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You remember that? Yeah. No, you don't. Thank you. I always get such support when I ask about last week's sermon, and there's just silence. It's God's way of humbling a preacher. Reminding him or her that you don't really listen half the time. <laughs> Turn with me to uh, Luke 19. We're going to read about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a what? A le- okay, yeah, wee little man. Okay, what was his occupation? A tax collector. Right. Tax collectors in ancient Roman times were different than today. Yes, we still are not thrilled with... Oh, Pepe said, no, no different. We're still not thrilled with the IRS today, right? We don't really like anyone taking our money. Of course, we love driving on the roads and sending our kids to the public schools, blah, blah, blah. But we don't really want to pay for it, right? We want everything to be provided to us free. So we don't like being taxed today. But in Roman times, Rome, the greatest empire of that time when Jesus was alive, they've gone around making themselves great by what? Conquering. They go around, conquer a people, move on, conquer another people, and as they're conquering people, they're sending out armies throughout the world. 
well, armies don't work for free. Food is not free. How do you pay to support an army? Taxes. Yes, quiet, quiet group today. You pay through taxes. Where do the taxes come from? You. And especially because smart politicians, I mean, even today, no, one, no politician ever wants to tax heavily from their own constituency, right? You always want to tax heavily the other groups, the other states, you know? So the, the representatives in Congress for Texas, they don't want Texas to have heavy taxes. We'll, we'll make, you know, Mississippi or Vermont or somewhere else pay the taxes. Well, in ancient Roman times, who would have had the lowest taxes? Well, Roman citizens. Who would have had the highest taxes? Conquered people, non-Roman citizens. So Rome goes out conquering countries. They move on. They tax the people to help pay for their future conquest and to ensure that tax revenue is generated from conquered people. They appointed tax collectors. Tax collectors, usually in the Roman system, there were a few different ways of doing it, but most common around the time of Jesus, and we have records of it especially a a few years before Jesus was born, tax collectors would bid. They would bid on the business to raise taxes. So you would go to Roman officials and you would say, I will take up all the taxes for you, I will guarantee you this amount of revenue. Now, all Rome cares about is their revenue, and they would do census. What's the plural of census? Censuses? Censi? They would take multiple census. I don't know. Remember, Jesus was born at the time of a census. Why do you take up a census? Well, you need to know how many people are in your empire so you can know how much tax revenue you're going to bring in if it's like, I don't know, 50 Dollars pop, 50 drachma a head, however you're going to figure it out. And so Rome says to these tax collectors who are bidding, they say, we know we have this many people in our empire in this particular territory. So we need from you, tax collector, this amount of money. So let's put a figure on it. Let's say $50 a head, $50 from every person. So the tax collector knows they have to take in at least $50 per person and send it off to Rome. What does Rome care about? They're $50. They don't care about any more than that. And of course, there's going to be some administrative expenses and, and pay uh, the, the, the salary, so to speak, of the tax collector. But what often happened is extreme corruption because tax collectors would have tremendous power. They would have the power just like the IRS would today, but they got to decide how much beyond that $50 they taxed you. So, of course, there'd probably be plenty of honest tax collectors, and they would tax just a slightly more to pay their own bills. But when you have power like that, well, absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. And so you would often have tax collectors taxing people very heavily lining their pockets with the people's money. See, it was bad enough to even be a tax collector. If you remember anything from World War II, remember Hitler occupies France? It would be like 
a Frenchman, a French citizen, taxing other French citizens, sending that money to Hitler. That's what a tax collector was in Jesus' day. You were taking money from your own brothers and sisters of your country and sending it to an occupying force. An occupying force that when they came into your territory, they were often extremely brutal. So your neighbor might be taking money from you, sending it off to Rome and the Roman emperor, who had sent out forces that perhaps years prior, in a battle to conquer your country, had brutally slaughtered your grandfather. Are you going to like your neighbor? No. You're not going to like your neighbor because he's taking money from you and sending it to Rome. You're especially not going to like your neighbor if your neighbor becomes corrupt, as so many do, and takes an extreme amount of money from you, and you are barely scraping by, and your, your neighbor has torn down his house and built up a mansion. Get the picture? That's who Zacchaeus was. One of your own, your neighbor, taking your hard-earned money, quite possibly extorting much more money from you than he should have, sending some of it to your occupying country, Rome, and then lining his pockets with the rest. And you, the you in this context, would be if you're a a, a Jewish person practicing the Jewish faith in the territory where we read about Zacchaeus, consider yourself, if if you're an ancient Jew, are you going to want Zacchaeus sitting next to you in your pew? You're a faithful person trying to follow God as a Jew. You go to synagogue, you, you read your, your Bible. They wouldn't have called it that back then. But you, you pray, you, you give to the poor. And here's Zacchaeus sitting next to you at the pew on Sunday mornings. Are you going to want him there? Are you going to want him trying to convey the fact that he's just as religious and good as you? No, he's scum. That's how you think of him. He's scum. Would, would anyone want a pimp to come in here and sit next to you and, and act as though he's just as good and holy as you? No, he's scum. Right? So, so not only did people not like him, he was taking money from God's people. So they would not have considered him a man that just doing a bad job. But, I mean, he's scum, scum, scum. What do you want happen to scumbags? Do you want them to have mercy? Do you, when, when punishment is to be doled out to them, do you want the judge to be lenient? Everyone know who Bernie Madoff is? Remember Bernie, Bernie Madoff? Ponzi scheme? Leader of... Well, yes, that's not where I was going with it. Leader of, to date, the largest Ponzi scheme in the world. I don't know what the figure is. Over a billion dollars. Stole so much money. Crooked beyond crooked. At his trial, 
Suppose, suppose you were heading up one of the nonprofits, working so hard for an organization as many nonprofits did, and unknowingly you'd sent your money to be invested to be trying to be a good steward of the nonprofit resources for your organization. You've sent them to Bernie Madoff, as several did, lost it all. Bernie Madoff is before the judge. And he says, I'm really sorry, judge. I'm really sorry. And the judge says, oh, you're, so, you're sorry? Okay, well, okay, see you later. No, no worries. Is that what you want to happen? No, of course not. You don't want that to happen. We've read about a few different cases of domestic violence this week in the news. One in an elevator and one at a, at a home of some athletes. When someone has done something so dirty and bad, do you want them to be given forgiveness? When they go before the judge, do you want the judge to say, ah, no big deal? Right? No. No. You want them to die, right? You want them to be punished. Justice. But if you mess up, what do you want? Do you want the judge to throw the book at you? No. What if it's your child? Even if you know your child did something really bad, do you want the full extent of the law to be used against your child? Well, no. You want mercy, right? Let's read Luke chapter 19 about a dirty scumbag named Zacchaeus who took from God's people his brothers and sisters in his country and gave them to a brutal occupying force whose armies had slaughtered thousands. Let's read about him. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector And was wealthy. Hmm, interesting. So he never actually says Zacchaeus was cheating people out of more. But he was very wealthy. So we're led to assume that he did gain his wealth by extorting and taking much more than he should have. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. That's interesting, by the way. We're going to talk about forgiveness today. We've talked about forgiveness a few times, but in the sermon series, we're actually following through the Gospel of Luke. And surprise, surprise, if you follow through the Gospel of Luke, which all the Gospels are just about Jesus and who he is, if you're going to do a sermon series on Jesus, you're going to be talking a lot about forgiveness, because that's what Jesus talked about a lot. But it's interesting to hear because verse 3, Zacchaeus was very remorseful and repentant for all he had done, and therefore he came to Jesus to ask forgiveness. No. No, he's just curious. I mean, you know, some real famous preacher doing some miracles, says some weird things. You've heard some crazy stories about multiplying loaves and fishes and raising people who are sick. I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? If they're passing by, kind of close to your home, you might check them out. Yeah, so... We read nothing about this dirtbag being repentant. 
We read nothing about him having second thoughts about his life. Remember that. We'll come back to it. Do you forgive those only who have first sought forgiveness? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. He was a wee little man because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. By the way, this is a complete aside. People sometimes wonder how accurate the Bible is, and they they debate about that, and whether or not these gospel stories are so made up. The Bible often gives these unique details that you'd wonder, if the whole thing was made up, why would you bother putting such detail? If you're making up a story, do you really need to specify the type of tree? Wouldn't tree do just fine? Just random detail. Has nothing to do with sermon, but there you go. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, remember, we've already established Jesus, or Zacchaeus, did not seek out Jesus because he was repentant. We have nothing about that in the text. Nowhere does it say Zacchaeus is remorseful and wants to change and comes to Jesus asking forgiveness. He's just curious. This matters. This matters a lot, okay? He is not someone who, in our language, we would say, is looking to be forgiven. He's not someone who's looking to be forgiven. He's not someone... at. There we go. Hey, isn't that good? If someone has hurt you, if someone has cheated you out of money, if someone has done something truly, truly bad to you, would you invite them for supper? Would you act in forgiving ways to them if they have not first asked forgiveness? Well, I'd forgive them if they would just ask for it. We see no record of Zacchaeus even realizing at first, when he first interacts with Jesus, that he has done anything wrong. Apparently, he's been so consumed by his greed, he apparently has no clue of it. He's just curious about this dude named Jesus. Come check him out. That's about it. And Jesus, knowing who Zacchaeus was, you know, Jesus through his prayer life, he has this inside track with God, but also he, honestly, he might have just known about Zacchaeus because Jesus lived in the area. Zacchaeus, it says, was a chief tax collector. So it's not like he simply, you know, worked for the IRS. He was like high up there. He might have just been well known. And if he's wealthy, well, just like 
today, well, it'd be a little different today. You have a lot of wealthy homes and gated communities. But especially back then, well, the wealthy homes, they were often on high hills, places higher up. People would have known where he lived, most likely. So Jesus may have simply known about Zacchaeus because he lived in the area. So Jesus knew the type of person Zacchaeus was. And he invites him to supper. Or, or what's really great, I mean in Jesus' brilliance, he actually invites himself to Zacchaeus' supper, which is brilliant. So maybe you can do it that way. Maybe someone's really hurt you. Maybe you're not to the point where you spend your own money on food. Just invite yourself to their house for supper. Right? Try that sometime. So he's not afraid. He's also not afraid, by the way, Jesus, to interact with someone who the religious community calls a sinner. Stupid term, by the way. We're all sinners. It's simply, it's just that some of us sinners recognize that we need a savior, and there are other sinners who have not yet come to that conclusion. We are all sinners, but some of us are saved by grace from those sins, while others are not. But Jesus isn't afraid to interact with a, quote, sinner. Are we afraid to interact with a sinner? We have these conversations a lot. To some extent, they're valid. If I associate with this person, am I condoning their behavior because I have a meal with them? Well, okay, in certain contexts, I guess that, that's a valid question. You, you, do, you don't want to confuse your witness as a, as a Christian. But I would say, in general, that question is rooted in fear and legalism. In general. But Jesus isn't afraid to associate with sinners. Sinners who are not even repentant. Who aren't even sorry about how they've cheated people. Nowhere does Jesus condone Zacchaeus' behavior. But what's really interesting is how Jesus... Or how Zacchaeus responds. See, Zacchaeus knows some about Jesus. He interacts with Jesus at supper. Jesus, a man who close to God, constantly in prayer. You regularly find stories in the Gospels where he's on, off by himself in prayer. The disciples lose him because he just goes away and prays for a while. You know, so something happens when Zacchaeus interacts with someone who's close to God the Father and unconditionally extends forgiveness. So Zacchaeus, I mean, he's just a scumbag who's not interested at this point in changing his ways. He's invited into relationship with a man named Jesus of Nazareth who walks closely with God. 
and extends unconditional forgiveness to him. And Zacchaeus is changed by that encounter. A man is changed when he interacts with someone else who walks closely with God and extends unconditional forgiveness. You ever known someone like that? A mom, grandmother, family member, older mentor, someone who, someone who, if you had a prayer request, you always made sure you told them about it because it just seemed like if they prayed it, man, it would get answered. You never know, know someone like that. You just think it's like they have a direct hotline with God. You know, you just you always got this impression that man, they must spend like twenty hours a day in prayer. And no matter what you did, they just loved you, right? And, and, and they've walked with you for years. Maybe they've known you since you were a baby. And so they've seen all the stupid things you've done, and they still love you anyway. I mean, isn't it just amazing to be so, around someone like that? I don't know how often Zacchaeus had ever interacted with someone like that before Jesus. I mean, presumably, he's quite a crooked, crooked man. Willing to not only betray, in a way, his countrymen by passing along their hard-earned money to Roman oppressors, but apparently extort them in the process. When you become a crook, you start to hang around with nothing but crooks who would gladly cheat you out of your money if they could but get a chance too. Who would gladly use you if you could get a chance to. How long has it been since Zacchaeus really hung around anyone close to God? How long has it been since anyone, he hung around anyone who extended forgiveness? I mean, the criminal culture cultures in which extortion, cheating others out of their money, cultures like that, forgiveness is not part of their culture, is it? I mean, if, if you're running in a crowd where all the people around you are just as willing as you are to cheat others out of your money, are those types of people willing to forgive you if you ever cost them a little money? No. So probably because of multiple Sinful choices Zacchaeus made, probably year after year after year. He's a chief tax collector at this point. So perhaps he climbed the ladder of his crooked ways to such an extent that he's now chief of the tax collectors. He'd probably spiraled down into such a nasty, nasty culture where the only other people he hung around were other crooks like him or other people who simply hung around them, him hoping that they would somehow benefit from his money. It's like a wealthy, wealthy person. You know, they get to be paranoid. Does anyone really like me or do they just like me because of my money? And here this rabbi, Jewish word for teacher, named Jesus comes along. And has the guts to just say to this wealthy, 
wealthy man who presumably had quite a bit of power. I mean, he's sending a ton of money Rome's way. Rome has soldiers at their disposal. It wouldn't be too far out of the realm of possibilities to assume Zacchaeus, with a little extra payment, could probably have some soldiers help him out. You know what I mean? And Jesus has the guts to say, Zacchaeus, I'm having supper with you tonight. Climb down, buddy. And he has dinner with them. And he's not impressed with Zacchaeus' money. He doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, would you help me out in the Lord's work? He's not, he doesn't want it. He just has dinner with him. Just this real honest man named Jesus who has this close relationship with God and isn't impressed by his money but neither is he afraid to interact with them because of his sin and extends forgiveness and Zacchaeus is changed. He becomes a man who lives in light of his forgiveness. And so he says, if I've cheated anyone, I love that language. You can tell Zacchaeus still has some growing to do. It's, I don't know, I mean, it could be my imagination, but it's like he's too, he, he's not to the point where he can quite admit, okay, I really, I cheated some people. If I cheated anyone, come on, Zacchaeus, we know you did, come on. If I cheated anyone, I'll pay him back. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anyone, I'm going to pay him back. How does that happen? Now, there's no formulas in Christianity. Do you know that? I've said that a few times there. here. I hope you know that. I hope you know that there's no formulas. A plus B will always equal C. No, no, it's not the case. But I do know, because I see it enough in Scripture, when a Christian walking close with God, who regularly spends time with God in, in prayer and talks to Him and walking with Him, extends unconditional Forgiveness. Not conditional forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness to those around them, him, her. People will be changed. Every person? No. Many? Yeah. Because it's so rare. I mean, do you know how rare it is in our culture? To be forgiven unconditionally? To do what Jesus does to us? What does Jesus say when he's hanging on the cross? He prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We worship a God as Christians, and I say this almost every week, I do not and nor will I ever assume that your regular church attendance means you are Christian. So if this is your first time ever in a church, or if you've been here 50 years, that doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. Your church attendance does not make you a Christian. Accepting Christ as your Savior, your forgiver, is what makes you a Christian. But we as Christians believe that God forgives us unconditionally. He is not impressed, rich people, with your money. He is not impressed, it not ashamed, worst of the worst of us, of our sin. He doesn't care what you've done. 
as though, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, the God of the universe who has never, ever missed any dastardly crime that's ever been committed, ever. I mean, is there anything you could ever do and God's going to say, Whoa, I've never seen anything like that. He knows what you've done. You've seen worse. I mean, the silliness to think any sin you've ever committed is so great that it's greater than the God who can forgive it. I mean, the God we worship is so much greater than any sin. So, if you've cheated people out of money like Zacchaeus, no big deal. God's got that. He can forgive that. He's forgiven all through Jesus, but not all have accepted Jesus' forgiveness. Did you catch that? What Jesus did on the cross made a way for all to be forgiven. Remember several weeks ago in this series, going through Luke, Jesus talks about the prodigal son. Clearly, you, tell, you can tell from the story of the prodigal son, the father long ago had a, a change in his heart. Maybe he never had a change. Maybe he always had the forgiveness there. Long ago, the father had already had this place in his heart of forgiveness for his prodigal son. But the son could never participate in the forgiveness until the son returned home. So what Jesus did was made a way for all to be forgiven, but not all have returned home. Some have simply refused. Some, in their crazy thinking, think, well, I've... I've done too many bad things. I just, oh, I, I can't come back to God. I've, oh, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Your sin is, ain't that special. God's seen worse. <laughs> so there's nothing you've done that's so unique that God wouldn't gladly forgive you. And Christians, we see in Zacchaeus what it looks like to live as someone who's been forgiven. So we as Christians follow someone who what? Forgives? Unconditional. We as Christians follow someone who forgives. We as Christians follow someone who forgives. Therefore, we should forgive conditionally. No. No, we do the same. Now, I always have to pause because I don't know the backgrounds of the people. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not enabling. So I mentioned earlier that we've seen a couple of cases in the news of domestic violence. Forgiving your husband who abuses you and punches you is not continually living with him and letting him punch you over and over and over. You can extend forgiveness, but still create some physical separation to ensure you are not continually or your children are not continually harmed. You can extend forgiveness to someone who continually lives in patterns of sinful dysfunction and still set up some boundaries so that you don't put further opportunities in their path for, their, for them to sin against you more. You can extend forgiveness, but still out of love, and it must be out of love, out of love, 
call someone to repent for their sin. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. It is not enabling sin. It is not saying, oh, it's no big deal. No, it was a big deal. If it wasn't a big deal, there'd be nothing to forgive. You know what I mean? So, no, you don't say, oh, no big deal. No, it was a big deal, but I'm choosing to forgive you. And we forgive like Jesus even if the other has not first sought it. Reconciliation is not always possible because reconciliation requires both parties. So someone's hurt you, they are unrepentant, they do not care, you can still forgive them. You cannot be reconciled to them until they also come to you and seek forgiveness. But that's on them. But you can extend forgiveness to them. You can live in light of your forgiveness in how you act. We do not believe in salvation by works. We do not believe that you do these things to get saved. We do not believe, nor does the Bible say, that Zacchaeus got saved because he committed to give away so much money. Even if you give a million dollars to this church, I pray you do, but it will not make you saved. Two million dollars? No, no, I'm just kidding. No matter how much you give, that doesn't matter. So Zacchaeus did not get saved. There's no transformation because he gave money or committed to give money away to the poor or returned that which he had cheated. No, the commitment to give away was because of the transformation. You get that? He had behavior that followed his transformation. So because he had experienced unconditional forgiveness in Jesus, he's transformed. It happens in all sorts of different ways. In the case of Zacchaeus, apparently one aspect of him experiencing unconditional forgiveness, which, by the way, another way you could say that is unconditional love. You cannot love who you do not forgive, and you cannot forgive those you do not love. It's really the same. But when Zacchaeus experiences unconditional love, apparently for him, he suddenly realizes he doesn't need all that money he thought he needed. All this stuff, presumably for years, he's been trying to get more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. In an instant, he experienced unconditional love. And it's as though, it's as though finally experiencing unconditional love does for him what the money never could. So he suddenly says, I don't need this. That which I thought I needed, I didn't need that. I got love. That's what I got. I got love from Jesus. So we're going to close today with two things. A challenge to the Christian and a challenge to the unchristian. 
I don't know what category you just put yourself in, but be careful. We, we went over this in our, in our home group, the Southwest Fort Worth home group. If you're not part of a home group, by the way, here's another plug. Talk to Michael. We want to get you to connected, connected in one. <clears throat> Alicia Lockhart, the adult volunteer who prayed to accept Christ through our day camp, <clears throat> she did so the Monday after participating in a home group when we had this little sidetrack conversation about how do you know you're a Christian? And I was trying to explain it a little bit, and I said, if you ask yourself, am I a Christian, and you immediately begin to self-explain, say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, then you may not be a Christian. And I explained that that night, and Alicia had spent the night processing through that, heard the gospel presented through Teal Jenkins the next day in the children's chapel, and realized... I'm not a Christian. Because when I talk to myself and ask myself, am I a Christian? I list off the things that I have done. I go to church. I read my Bible. I I pray. I do all of these things rather than saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. And going to this place where you believe, you recognize what Christ has done for you. You get that? So, two challenges to the Christian and the non-Christian. To the Christian... Are you loving unconditionally? Do not excuse unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness with enabling someone's sin. That is not love. That is hate and weakness and cowardice. Continually watching someone walk down a path of sin and self-destruction And hiding because you're a chicken to confront them on it because you're afraid of the tense conversation and saying it's love. That's not love. That's cowardice. Unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness does not mean you simply stand by. If Cormac starts walking in the street and I see a car, I see the trajectory, I don't say, man, I hope he figures out a way out of that sticky situation. That is not love. Nor is unconditional love and forgiveness enabling someone to cause you harm. I say that especially to the women when there's such a hidden problem, a secret problem of domestic violence. Forgiving the man who beats you does not mean you keep Staying in proximity to him so that he's physically able to harm you. Sometimes you can forgive him, but you may need to get, seek distance. And it's rampant, but it stays secret. So if, if you're someone, or a man, or a woman, or anyone else, or if you know someone, seek out help from here at the church, and we will help you find safety. Forgiveness does not mean you continue the status quo of the dysfunctional pattern. So sometimes you forgive, but you, but you may need to change how you interact with someone because they are not to the point. Because sometimes you can extend unconditional love and forgiveness. And essentially their response is, so what? Well, you can still love and forgive, but you may need to then adjust how you interact in light of their response? To the 
non-Christian, the challenge is this. Do you know, I mean, do you know what it's like to be loved and forgiven unconditionally? See, if you're a Christian, you'll, you'll know that. You may still struggle at times. You may have some baggage from stuff that needs to be worked through. and that We all do. You know. But if you've never experienced the love of God the Father who says, I know every dirty, nasty, terrible thing you've ever done. And I forgive you. Because of Jesus. If you don't know what that is like, you're missing out. <laughs> you are missing out in a world filled with conditional love and conditional forgiveness. God says, I love you unconditionally. And I forgive you unconditionally. And that forgiveness is made possible because of Jesus, who lived a perfect life, willingly died for us on our behalf because of us and our sin. And because of him, we have forgiveness. So my challenge to you is if you have not experienced that forgiveness, accept Jesus as your unconditional forgiver today. There's nothing you've done that he can't forgive. Nothing you will do that he can't forgive. Amen? Let's close with prayer. We'll take up a a quick tithes and offerings and we will uh, be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your love and your forgiveness. I pray that we would live a life as Christians, where we extend love and forgiveness. And I pray for any here who are not Christians, those who have not experienced unconditional love and forgiveness through Jesus. They may have been attending here 20, 30, 50 years, but they've never experienced your forgiveness through Jesus. I pray they would pray today. I pray that they would confess their sins to you and confess their need for you. I pray that they would ask Jesus to forgive them of all their sins. And I pray that today that when they pray for God to forgive them of their sins because of Jesus' death on the cross, that they would experience the freedom, the amazing life transformation that Zacchaeus experienced because of unconditional forgiveness. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all the people said, Amen.